broadcasting from an undisclosed location. From a secret hunting spot known only to him. And the guy who told him about it. And possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics. Is hunting a sport? Is hunting a craft? Now, you will often hear me refer to hunting as a sport and a craft. Is it just a means to an end? Is it something that most of us do to get meat onto the table? Is it something a little bit more primal than that? Is it something we do to get us back to our primal roots? Or uh, is it something that hunter-gatherers feel like they need to do, both men and, and women hunters? Is it that we grew up with it? Is it that when we were kids, we saw hunting around us? Certainly that wasn't the case for me until I was a little bit older. But for some of it, for some of us, I'm sure it is. It's what our fathers did. It's what our fathers' fathers did. And it was for them a means to an end. And for us, it's about carrying on that tradition. What brings this to mind is an article in the New Zealand Herald dated the 18th of January this year. And it featured a photo at the very top. And if you want to see this photo, go into the comment section of this podcast. There'll be a link of it, link to this article there. And it was Kid Rock holding up a mountain lion that I assume he's just shot. Or by all accounts, he'd just shot. Now, Kid Rock, if you don't know who that is, he's a musician, um, fairly well known, I don't know, a decade ago. He was married to Pamela Anderson for a little while, I think. Uh, if you didn't know who he was, you haven't missed much. Who he is isn't really the point I'm trying to make. It is that it caused a public outcry. Now, Kid Rock, from what I can gather, is kind of one of many poster boys for American hunting. And gun ownership, I imagine. But there was a public outcry about this. I want to add, by all accounts, where he shot this mountain lion, they're actually a bit of a pest, and they're in massive numbers. That makes me think, what makes a mountain lion any different to a deer? Is one more majestic than the other? I, I personally don't think so. Was it there was a bit of blood in the photo? Hmm, maybe not, there wasn't a lot. It wasn't a particularly gory or horrible photo. Uh, I mean, the, the, the whole article actually has undertones of racism, you know. He talk, they talk about how the whole trailer park, and you can hear the whole trailer park going off and turning his music up and all sorts of stuff. And I, I don't think that does hunting in New Zealand any favours. We're not all a bunch of bigots and gun-mad nutters, you know. That aside, I, I really struggled to see what was wrong with this. There was a whole lot of, there was honestly a public outcry, and even Kiwis had a fair bit to say. Some of them made me laugh. Some of these, um, the comments weren't terribly horrible. Um, one person on here wrote, Last night I shot nine rabbits and a possum. A couple of weeks ago I shot a deer, half of which is now in my freezer, half I gave to a friend. He does go on to say that man tops the food chain and can do what he wishes. I don't know if I quite agree with that comment. I think that there's a line in the sand that we need to respect. Then uh, and, and another person, Clinton Jackson, wrote, The whole killing for pleasure is what makes it wrong. I don't understand how someone could derive pleasure from killing or hunting another living creature. 
He goes on to say that this kind of sport is one step from psychopathic. Tamaki writes here, Wow, the amount of, the amount of anti-hunting sediment astounds me. A lot of these people probably wouldn't think twice of going for official seven. I tend to agree. There is a lot of anti-hunting comments on this particular post, and I assume most of them are from Kiwis. Yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. I want your feedback. What do you reckon about this particular article? Is it a little bit one-sided? Or how do you feel about it as a hunter? And how do you feel about this guy taking on uh, these particular creatures? And do you see a difference between a mountain lion that where it is is in good numbers and a deer that's effectively an introduced species in New Zealand. I think you will see a difference and I'd like to hear your feedback. This week's interview is with someone who hopefully is going to become a bit more of a regular on the show. This is our second interview with Roy Sloan from the Fiordland Wapitis Foundation. How are you, Roy? Yeah, no, good. Good sitting here in the lovely south. (laughs) Well, (laughs) as I said to you off air before, I'm up here in the mainland, so... You know, <laughs> well, if you're in the mainland, we're at the top of the country now, are we? <laughs> Roy, last time we spoke, it was kind of in the middle of, of a nothing time for hunting. It was there was not much coming up, and we talked a, yep. a lot about the Fiordland Wapiti Foundation and, and how that came into be. But you've got the raw coming up very soon. What does that mean for you guys down there? Yeah, um, our raw is called the Bugle. Um, the noisy old wops, mate. But yeah, look. Um, you know, there's a lot of enthusiastic people getting eager around the country. A lot of wives getting sick of them at the moment, talking about fjordans. Probably <laughs> a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of first-timers. Uh, we're heading into that country again this year. And, um, yeah, I mean, if they do the miles, do the hard yards, they're in for a time of their life, to be fair. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, it's probably still the premier hunting spot in New Zealand on Department of Conservation land. You know, it's just, it's you're in. You're in pristine country. You're on top of some mountains, and um, the, the country and the Wapiti are a package. And when you're making a bit of noise, mm. yeah, she's great, great. Now, I think I told you last time, Wapiti hunting is something that I've never done, and it's on my bucket list. Uh, definitely yep. in the next couple of years, I hope to get my name out of that ballot. One thing I was thinking about is how do you really tell? And I'm sure there's an obvious answer to this question between a hybrid and and a and a pure blood. It's bloody hard, uh, you know. Um, and um, pardon my explanation here. It's um, <laughs> not meant to be racist or anything like that. But if if you get a a family um, with a a father of of one colour and a mother of another colour, you can pop out half a dozen kids, all different shades, can't you? Mm. Uh, um, and you know we're dealing with uh, um, a herd of animals that's been um, raped and pillaged. It's been um, red and have invaded it over the years and they've been knocked off and so we've got all all walks of life in there, all mixtures. So, you know, you, you might get one animal who who might throw his um, genetics towards antlers and then you might get another one who throws its genetics towards um, its body features. So them features could could come from if you look at a wapiti, you know, he, he needs nice white nice dark legs, he needs dark face, dark neck. And more, and his coat changes through winter and summer. So hunters de- going in here at, at, um, in the autumn are dealing with a, an animal that's also changing in um, because of the weather as well. Mm. So really, 
Oh, well, it, it's a real hard one. So so what we do is, is the foundation. I mean, we have a bloody, when we're flying around here in a helicopter, we have trouble recognising. Um, it's just, it takes time, it takes experience. So what we say to the hunters is, is you know, here we are um, managing and it, it's a trophy area. So your number one goal should be going in there to shoot a trophy. So forget about reds, forget about whoppity you start looking for a trophy. So that actually makes it easier for them, you know. If you want to shoot reds, you can shoot – you've got all around New Zealand to shoot reds. They're a dime a dozen. So so what you start looking at, at ageing animals. So that's that's where we've gone down. So we're not saying shoot a 12-pointer because there's so many extremely good young wops in there who are three and a half years old who have got 12 points on, so you're shooting good babies. Right. So what we say is let's, let's look at some maturity. You know, we talk about um, we've got a bit of a, um, a card we give hunters, so identification card, business type size. So, you know, is is skull length should be a certain amount. Sorry, you multiply skull length by two and a half, which gives you around about forty odd inches. Right. So you should be you want them to be around mid forties long. Right. You know, and to be to be truthful, in my eyes. An animal's not a trophy if he's got at least 12 points on anyway. So there's another one. Mm. And um, we talk about size um, bits and pieces on him, like he, if he looks mature. I always think about a young Labrador to an old Labrador, you know, leggy, and then when he gets older, he falls out in his chest and he falls out in the stomach and bits and pieces like that. So it's about, it's about um, if you look at any type of deer, um, it doesn't have to be what deer. You're looking at them features that are looking older. So we, we're talking about ageing animals. Just very, just very quickly, leading into this interview, we I was talking about an article that the New Zealand Herald published uh, about a month ago, and it was about trophy hunting, and it was about yes. an American case, and I'm not going to get into the uh, into what it was about. You can listen to the the show if you like. But is there a line in the sand for you guys between trophy hunting and a means to the ends? Where does where does the Wapiti Foundation sit on pure trophy hunting? Are these guys going in, taking the head, leaving everything behind? Um, where, where's that sitting for you guys? Um, I mean, um, I guess if you look at the guys who are involved, we're, we're Kiwi rare hunters. We, we'll we go out, we'll harvest a deer and take everything we can. Yeah. Um, here we've got a, a, a herd of wapiti in Fjordland. And like it or hate it, it's a trophy herd. Yeah. We're purely managing for trophies. So Essex success of the foundation and success of the management is always based around that set of antlers. Like it or hate it, I know, um, as I say, I'm a, I'm a bit of a... I, I teach, I do young hunts and I've done all that sort of stuff and I, I like them to take everything home they can. But in this case, it's a trophy herd yep. and that's just it. Yeah. That's what we'll manage it for. Yep. Yeah, no, no, no worries. It was just something. Yeah. <laughs> it was something yeah, yeah. that we happened to be talking about earlier, and you you brought yep. up a really good point uh, about that. Uh, is there anything that, for example, you talk about the you know the roars coming up, and if you're down there, and there's a lot of listeners that are going to be heading down to Fiordland to to go in for a whoppity hunt. Give them some points. What's three or four things that they need to know before they go down there? Yep. One is before you go down there, I would say. Make sure you got a bloody good coat for for a start. Yeah. Uh, um, no. So, so going into fuel, and I, I guess I guess if you look at myself, I, I'm 
Southlander, it's my backyard. I get opportunities to go in there so many times over the years, it's not funny. Um, I didn't pull the trigger on, a, on an animal for about 15 or 18 years. Gee. So you, you're talking somebody who's um, I'm probably, to me, a trophy is something you shoot in a lifetime. A trophy isn't something you shoot on a trip. Right. You might be lucky, lucky to get it on your first trip in there. So if you want a decent animal, you've got to do the time. Yeah. Um, you've got to do the time. So big thing with Fjordan is the wind. Um, weather, I, don't, I never even think about the weather. In fact, I don't even look at the forecast before I go in there. I take a good coat. I'm prepared to sit it out. So work out what your wind's doing. Get yourself in an area where you know you've got good tucker. Fjordan's typical for its slip country, and yeah. that's where our animals are living and, and up into the alpine. So get yourself set up somewhere, easy access, to, so you can access the good country when the weather does break. And, um, yeah, you just there's no easy answer to the whole thing. You've got to do the hard yards. Roy, you must see people come into there and or turn up, and, you know, you get sight of these guys... And you're just looking and going, you muppet. You know what? You're not prepared. You weren't. Yep. You didn't do any research before you came down here. You've paid some money, and you're you're out there to to get the first thing that you see. What, what yep. goes through your mind when you see that? Or does it happen very often at all? Yeah, pretty. I mean, you say yourself that um, on your wish list that you want to go to the fjord, and, mm. and I guess what stops people from going to the fjord a lot is the, the reputation that it has. Is you know I get so many people saying to me, "Shit, I'm when I get older, I'm going to go to Fjordland or or this or that." You know, shit, we were hunting Fjordland when we were um, sixteen to seventeen, but it, it's just it doesn't age has got nothing to do with it. It's the place ain't scary. You've got the good gear. Um, you do things correctly. It's great. What I'd say to hunters is make sure you got a locator beating with you, and make sure you listen at the briefing on the on the safety side of things and ask questions don't be afraid to ask questions but yeah you make a Good really in, yeah you make a you make a really interesting point there the areas i go hunting in i now i suppose when i first started in in, in the sport or into our craft i would go down the tracks and then venture off a little way and then i get a little bit more confident i know the area yep. that little bit better i'm going further afield and and from there you know now there's these areas particularly in the poyora forest or the kaimanawa forest where i have no issues going off track and Yep. In fact, I don't even head for the track. I'll just go off the side. You know, that, that kind of stuff. I know the area well enough now yep. that I feel comfortable. Um, in fact, I very rarely look at GPSs now. I, they're there, and I have all the compass, yep. and the GPS is a backup. But for me, just flying down and fanging it into Fiordland somewhere, that, that level of confidence isn't going to be there. What's your yep. advice for that? I guess one thing with Fiordland is you go into Fiordlands. One thing you're not worrying about, you're not worrying about getting lost in Fjordland. Mm -hmm. Fjordland, you don't get lost. You, you know when you cross the mountain. Right. You're not you're not basically going over ridges or you or along big flats. You're basically in big watersheds. So your problems in, in Fjordland is uh, navigation is turns around cliffs and right. hidden stuff like that. So it's steep country. So once you're on steep country, you really just you gotta start thinking, you know. Can I can I get down there? If I get down there, um, can I get back up? Right. So it's 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 little boxes like that you gotta tick along the way. But so so it's a bit more common sense stuff, eh? It is more common sense, yep. Um as I say, it's it, it is survival. People die in there. Mm. People people die on the bloody walking across the main road though, don't they? At the end of the day, it's just um 
it's not a scary place. Mm. It's um, it's an adventure. And if I was to now, I'm used to to chasing around reds particularly, and I'm now just. Uh, Thank for, uh, thanks to um, Jamie Fairburn. It's got me really interested in seeker hunting as well. Yeah. What's something that's bit, that, that's that bit different about Wapiti? You know, compared to a red, I know that there are, there are different animals to hunt, or I understand yeah. that there are different animals to hunt. What's the major differences? Major, when you're hunting reds, reds are very similar to, to Wapiti, but the one thing is, is a, a Wapiti really, really um, goes to ground on human scent. Right. Um, you, you know, I hunt reds a lot. Um, that's my bread and butter. Um, you know, you can I can hunt a, a red and a raw, chase them in the raw. He will um, generally a bug might bug him up, but he'll be back in that similar area um, in several days' time. Yeah. Wapiti, wapiti go to ground. They go uh, mature ones. They go to ground big time, and immature ones are really aggressive. They tend to tend to make a lot of noise, kick you camp around a little bit and stuff like that so that's why they that's why so many young wops get shot but then big boys you know certainly go to ground with human scent because i that's, think i think the reds the big reds are a little bit the same aren't they you know the big reds don't roar um no that, that's why they got big um is the same sort of thing happen with a wapiti yeah they do i mean um wapiti if you look at a wapiti trophy you know you look at reds reds are probably six seven years old when they start start getting their peak but Wapiti a 10 year investment so um, they sort of go for a dopey stage um, and if they survive that dopey stage and get into that mature stage a good animal you know if he's looking around 8, 9, 10 years old he's, he's seen, seen a bit of life Yeah. Um, you know generally it's like everything if they've had a good mum who showed them the ropes younger and so they've had good education uh, along the way as well so yeah and big mature bulls sometimes don't even come out of the bush um but they do make mistakes i tell you yeah yeah no really good point now going on to from that you know you these are big animals what sort of caliber do you normally take out when you go um generally i mean i, I shot on my my bull and, and uh, in later years i've just carried a 270 most of my life in there right. to be fair Okay. Um, they die like anything else, 308. It depends yep. what you want to do. <laughs> um, deer haven't got any bigger. They still still yep. dive a bit of lead in them in <laughs> yeah, the right yeah. place. Yeah, no. I mean, a lot of people are shooting at distance in there now, but it's up to individual how they hunt them. Yeah, that's an interesting question because I've been having that discussion uh, quite a bit lately about about that distance shooting. Now, I don't feel confident shooting anything above around 350 yep. currently. Yep. When do you decide... That I'm I'm at a level of my skills are good enough now where I can be shooting out at these very long distances you hear about, because yep. part of me wonders if you make that mistake you cock it up you blow an animal's you know calf yep. to pieces or, or you do some damage that's not humane. None of us want to do that. None of us want that that bad shot or that that cruel um, death. When do you make that decision? I, I think um, I think you're going to sit down and sit. It's an ethical choice you make. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm, I mean, I've, I've hunted all my life. I'm soft bugger. I, I still, <laughs> I still hate seeing an animal die. You know, when mm. I take an animal, it still, still gets to me. Um, and the mere fact that when we do our recovery nowadays, I try and stay in the helicopters when we do our recovery. It just, it's not me. So hunters really need to need to it's the respect and ethical choice they make they must understand like i 
go back to long distance shooting. I've sat on the hills with some of the best who are at it, mm. and probably some of the the guys who are advocating long distance shooting. Shit, these guys are good at it. Yeah. What What worries me is the fact that other people are having a crack at a deer, and you know, who aren't so good at it. You, you need to you need to be shooting that stuff that ain't ain't a live animal. Right. You know. You need to be on the range and, and on the hill or somewhere shooting at stuff that's not a live animal. And then get yourself good at what you're doing. I mean, the beauty about hunting is is there's something for everybody. You know, if you're a meat shooter or, or you're a bush shooter who shoots up the 50 yards and or if you're a trophy hunter or you're um, you want to pay somebody to go out, it's a it's a sport that bloody um, everybody can participate in. So we really need to respect each other what we're doing, but on a long distance you really need practice yeah very good point Roy you've just come out of the bush and you said you had a really interesting story about the area you've just come from you were there this weekend just gone yeah yeah I um I was in Shammy country um I shouldn't say this on on radio (laughs) which is (laughs) south and best kept secret of Shammy um I um I tend to I tend to um um Chase animals with camera nowadays, yep. but um, yeah, country I was in um, a, a trip or two ago. I um, saw a nice chamois, and I thought, shit, I've seen a lot of chamois in my time. This guy looks like he needs needs a bullet in him. <laughs> he, <laughs> so I climbed up there, and and um, and um, here he was sitting there, proud as punch up on the top. So I, I spent about two hours getting up to him. The thing he, he um, doubled in numbers and. And I thought, geez, he had a, a young one with him. And um, I don't know what the male was doing with the group at all, but the male turned into a nice big nanny, to be fair. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I laid across a rifle and I thought, gee, I wonder if I can get a photo off him rather than sh- rather than shoot him straight away, get the best of both. So he ended up, I got up, and they all popped up out of the tussock. Next thing, one shimmy turned into 12 shimmy. So I sat myself down with the camera. And within half an hour, I had 24 chamois feeding around me at 30 metres. <laughs> so all the excitement of trying to get the photo. Um, I still haven't shot that bloody chamois. So, um, yeah, he's still running around up there. Yeah. Well, she, she is still running around up there, I should say. So, yeah, good experience in close. And then I guess that explains my shooting. hundred. I like that personal side of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, that segues really well into the next topic I want to talk to you about, and that's the game Animal Council, and it's something yep. not everyone's aware of. So first of all, what is the Game Animal Council? Have I even got the name right there? Yeah, you have the Game Animal Council. Game Animal Council is a, um, a body that's been set up um, to represent all um, all hunting, you know, professional hunting, right through to the rec hunting. Right. So it's, it's, it's try to get some, I guess, similar minds around the table and, and look at the future management of our animals in New Zealand. A lot of, a lot of bad press has been said about the Game Animal Council. Now I'm a, I was a reluctant, um, a reluctant person to be on the council. Was, um, it took a big decision for me to, to accept my position. Um, I felt that I'd probably done enough, and people were probably sick of me, on some of the political stuff I've done. So I was, I, it was time me to move on. You're never going to hear. From Roy Sloan again. Actually, after last year, I was gonna, I was gone from the foundation. I was gone from everything. I was, I was packing my toys up and going home. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the foundation, uh, the, the the Game Animal Council, 
is the most fantastic opportunity for hunters in New Zealand that we've ever had to manage our game. And when I say manage our game, I don't mean that everybody's going to have to start paying to manage, um, to, to shoot animals and stuff like that. It's about um, finally having a political voice that can um, make it a lot easier on us to, um, you know, an example is the Wapiti, you know. Mm. Wapiti, geez, my, I got a daughter who who's um, 14 years of age, and and started that Wapiti battle back then. Ever and she knows more about the Wapiti than anybody else because I've had to devote a life to it. And and for individuals to devote their life to something like that is a hell of a tie that can't mm. be maintained. So we need a political voice. And the game animal councils been now gone for about 10 months, and you've got a a group of people that's been chosen by the Minister of Conservation yep. um, to represent hunters. Um, at the moment, we're dealing with things like um, AATH, like aerial assisted trophy hunting. Right. So we're trying to find some common ground on, on that. Um, that's one of our first big things we've been handed, um, which has been a hell of a battle for us, and, and hopefully we'll end up with a good outcome for everybody. Not everybody's going to like it, but it's, um, as I say before, there's it's... We're a small body of people in New Zealand. We have to support each other, and the Game Animal Council is a way to do that. And, and the sad thing about it is some of the stuff that we're doing, we just can't really um, say a hell of a lot about. It's just hunters need to support it. It's mm. This is their one and only opportunity in, in our lifetime to to finally have a, um, a political voice for hunters. And it's a good thing. Yeah, um, yeah it is a good thing, and I don't say that lightly. Um, Okay, so for for me here, sitting here as Joe Hunter, how do I have any say? I I support it. I I like the idea of it. But how do I do that? How do I go and I say to Roy, this is, these are my views, although my personal views get made quite public these days for some yep. unknown reason. But no, but how does, how do my, how do I get my views into the, Um, into you or do I send them? Is there a submission process? Where where do I even start? So, so what you've got to do is, um, and I guess the big thing is um, with a, a game animal council is it's dealing with um, the hot topics of the moment. So, yeah. you know, we're talking about stuff that's already out there, like warrows, um, like um, like uh, SAATH, and other little um, smouldering fires that are already in existence. And really, the NZDA are involved, so the NZDA. Um, certainly put their opinion over. The Department of Conservation have had a lot of these things on their desk for a while. So as an individual, hunters really still need to push their views through clubs, through right to the Game Animal Council. Um, it's we, we have a website, so it's really it's, it's bloody hard for the start because we're, mm. we're just trying to get a, a business going. It's similar, even though it's a statutory body. It's, um, it's like getting a business going. So so when we're you know we're dealing with hot topics that are already out there that we mm. once we get them under our belt we can be a bit more, I guess, open and um, approachable to everybody. Yeah, and, and it must be hard yeah. because there's there's this fantastically long list of issues that hunters yeah. want to have addressed, and I find that with hunters they all mean very well. 
Um, but often it's just the noisy ones that get heard. Uh, you know, some of yes. these very, very well thought out, intelligent guys that want to have their opinions heard kind of sit in the background. And you get a chance, and I'm very fortunate to get to sit down with a lot of these guys and, and listen to their true thoughts and feelings. And I'm going, wow, you've just nailed it. You've explained something to me. Yet the ones that seem to get the most heard are these out there often that are spouting things that they don't know the true story or the or the background to. How do you manage that side of, uh, you know, because Hunter's a vocal bunch, aren't they? We're going to wade through that, eh? I mean, I mean, end of the day, <laughs> yeah. um, end of the day, it's, you talk about how you get yourself hurt and you say, you talk about the squeaky wheel. Yeah. I mean, we're, we as an organisation, as I say, is we're building something that hasn't, we haven't had before. Hmm. So we're going to look at how that happens as we go. And as I say, it's really unknown to us. It's all new. But you need to still go and talk to your local organisations. Hunters still need to get off their bum and still do their normal political stuff Hmm. um, like they've always have, like the foundation, like that. But um, you're talking about the squeaky wheel. Trouble is with hunters, um, we all probably want the same thing. But we seem to take different directions of getting it. Mm. Um, you know, we all problem is going to be with the with the um, game animal council is we represent helicopter guys, professional guys, um, everybody, and everybody has different opinions. But at the end of the day, when you sit around a table, pretty similar views out there. You know, yeah. um, hunters just need to be a bit more rational on, on their thought pattern. Actually, you've nailed it with that that rational thought pattern stuff. I suppose that the first thing I think of, Roy, is that actually hunting ain't a team sport, you know. Uh, Although we have the New Zealand Deerstalk Association, and they do a very, very good job. There's pig hunting clubs. There's there's, there's collectives all over the place. And I've even put out on the show a couple of times, is there a way that hunters could get together collectively and do something really good for for young hunters or even the community in general? Um, But we're not like that. We are... The no, sport it's by its do. nature is is a, a bit of a loner activity, isn't it? It is a loner activity. I mean, I, I guess I guess going down the line, the, the, um, if you look at the Game Animal Council, um, we're looking at opportunities for people to be more involved mm. and how we how we approach that and how we attack that. Because, I mean, we, we have NZDA, we have all sorts of other um, people out there who, who were, we need to respect as well. Yeah. So we don't want to be um, certainly um, a bomb under their bell. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's a lot of a suck and see. It's hard, mm. hard for us as well because we want to promote this thing. People are quite excited about it, but we just can't go out and make rash promises. And, and like, there's so much political stuff that happens. So many things got to be – I look at the Wapley Foundation. It's just exactly the same as we started off uh, 14 years ago. We've done so much work behind closed doors. People were going going around saying, you know, he should be doing this, should be doing that. But so many relationships are made, so many um, bonding is done behind the scenes that you can't be telling people a hell of a lot because yeah. all, that, all that stuff has to happen. Yeah. It's trust, it's trust, the shifting and all that sort of um, – and being in the political um, – circles is i guess makes it a little bit more difficult for the council because you know we've got to make sure everything's done correctly and above board and and right but um as i say certainly down the line um looking at opportunities for 
Joe Bloggs to be um, involved with the council, whether it's through some sort of registration, you know, hunter registration or something like that. Is it is it realistic to say that you are a lobby group or do you wield some real power or are you just trying to influence those that do? We we, we, um, we have direct contact with the minister. Right. Um, Mr. Dunn, we, we work very closely with. Yeah. So we have we have quite a bit of um, well, it's the first time we've ever had any influence at all. <laughs> yeah. um, and I have to say, the Department of Conservation, we um, in the relationship that we have with them through our group in that state, has actually been fantastic. Mm. Um, hunters might think that the um, the department are the, I guess, I don't have the word, but um, the ogre, but. Absolutely not. Like, guys need to sit down and, and work with the Department of Conservation. In that, in, in that top level, that's what the Department want. They, they are, you know, they they also support recreation with conservation, and that's what we are. Um, it's the relationships today has, has looked very promising, and it's something we've something we've had in Southland for a long time. How do you wade through? that that very issue that most hunters actually i don't even know if it's most but vocal hunters seem to see particularly the department of conservation as the enemy um i don't know i i'm not i don't have an opinion on on that point how's how's the department how is the department of conservation or the game animal council for that matter going to to fix that rift this need to and i i think it if I go back when I started attending the Seeker show in, um, with the Wapiti Foundation, we had we first year at the Seeker show, they had, the second year they had to move us away from the entrance because so many people were lined up trying to have a crack at the foundation over um, our involvement with the Department of Conservation. We've had all sorts of accusations made against us. Um, phenomenal. You wouldn't believe what, what phone calls I, I get over the years. <laughs> oh, I might because right I get a few now, weird emails too. <laughs> <laughs> Till right now, where people fully understand the relationship we have in, in Southland, on Stirling Island, and also um, elsewhere with Fjordlands, with the Department of Conservation. And they're starting to get trust. They're starting to acknowledge that, you know, if we want um, huntable herds of, of deer on conservation lands, mm. it has to, has to be a, a win-win for everybody. We can't have animals running around trashing the show. So there's opportunities there for hunting and conservation. And I think people understand, and, and particularly the industry I work in as a farming industry, is 10, 15 years ago, how people were thumbing their nose at the environment. Hunters were in the same position probably about five years ago, but I think we're starting to understand the world is getting greener, more urbanised, more pressure is coming from, from people in cities who don't understand our sport or don't, don't know our sport. So... So it's bloody important for us to, I guess, um, evolve with that. If we don't evolve with that, um, technology could find something tomorrow that could, I guess, um, destroy who we're there in New Zealand. We don't know that. Mm. It's not. It's probably not going to happen anyway. I'm just saying that. But you know, you don't know what's around the corner. Is what I'm saying. So if hunters don't realise and keep up with the way the, the environment's evolving in, in terms of, um, I guess, conservation and um, everything else, mm. I'm afraid we're going to get left behind. So we have to be, go with it. And, and hunters to their, you know, 
bless their cotton socks, aren't very good at PR. You know, some of the stuff that I see on, particularly on social media, yeah, and you, you you look at it and go, that is one, it's horrible. Two, it doesn't give hunting a, a good name. And I'm not talking about you know the young hunter holding up his you know the head of his first deer, but a yep. blood on his shirt or something. I'm not talking about that. It's these videos of dogs bailing a pig up and the screaming. Uh-huh. And, the, and look, yep. I, I'm not I'm not having a go at pig hunters here. I'm not having a go at deer hunters here. Yeah, but we don't. I think that hunters need to think twice about what they put up because it actually reflects on all of us. And it's not to try and hide the reality of hunting. I just think we've just think, you know, that's my opinion anyway. It's got to be smarter. Yeah. Yeah. And hunters, hunters are a good, good pack of Kiwis, eh? Yeah, they I are. I mean, to me, um, geez, I've played rugby, I've, I've done all sorts of stuff. And, and um, hunters um, were a great patch of buggers, but we're just <laughs> their own worst enemies that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the passion, passion is what um, makes us successful passion is what makes us sometimes failures and the thing i love about hunting is it's it bridges so many divides you know i can be in the middle of absolutely nowhere and and meet up and occasionally unfortunately um you'll cross paths with another hunter but these guys it doesn't matter how much money they've got their background their race uh, whatever you can sit down cup of tea and a maybe a, a hip flask of something, talk a bit of rubbish, and you have absolutely got common ground, you know. It yeah, really yeah, yeah. is It is one of those sports, isn't it? It's funny when, you, you, when you're out somewhere, it could be a work do or a party or, or whatever, Christmas function. Yeah. Hunters find each other, don't they? They do. <laughs> they certainly do. So it's great. Roy, if someone wants to find out a little bit more about the Game Animal Council, where do they go? Where do they find out this information? I knew you were going to ask me that. We we have a um a website. <laughs> yep. And you're going to ask me what what the website is. Go, just Google Game Animal Council. Um, and I just off the top of my head, I just can't think of what the Look, website absolutely is. Absolutely no worries, Rory. What I'll do is I'll put a link to that particular website in the comment yep. section of this podcast. So scroll on down, you'll find a link to it there. Roy, again, you've been a great interview. Thank you very much for taking um, some time out. I know uh, you'll be a bit stuffed after being out all weekend. Um, and let's catch up again, maybe closer to to the raw down there, or maybe yep. a little bit, maybe in the middle of it, and just see how that season goes for you. Eh? Sounds great. Cheers, mate. Okay, to Luke. Well, that's us for another week. We may miss next week's show. I'm actually out of the country for a little while now, and I'm not sure by the time I get back whether there'll be enough time to uh, organise an interview and get a show underway. So if we do miss next week, you'll hear from me the week after. Remember, guys, get into me that information about hunting competitions and clubs and events and whatever else that you've got going on, and I'm going to use this part of the show to publicise events that are coming up particularly um, hunting competitions uh, rather than AGMs. AGMs might be on the boring side unless you've got something really interesting to talk about. You can still get in the draw to win that great 12-month subscription to NZO Magazine. All you need to do is like the page, give us some information, share it, um, talk to us, email us, do whatever. Be active, and we've got a special way that we kind of measure that, and we will put your photo up the top as a fan of the month for that great 12-month subscription to NZO or NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine. Guys, behave, take it easy, and good hunting. Podcasting from an undisclosed location. 
from a secret hunting spot known only to him and the guy who told him about it and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics.